Shaharazani, and in the news, security escalation in Israel, including two attacks targeting bus stations in Jerusalem, resulting in dozens of injuries, some in critical condition, and the unfortunate murder of 16-year-old Arya Chopek of blessed memory. What does it all mean, and where are we headed from here? With me all the way from Israel is Avi Melamed, founder of the Inside the Middle East Institute. Avi is a former Israeli intelligence official, and he's a senior advisor on Arab affairs. He's an expert on current affairs in the Arab and Muslim world and their impact on the Middle East and Israel's geopolitical environments. His recent book, Inside the Middle East, Entering a New Era, has received high acclaim from executives, journalists, think tanks, and thought leaders across the world, including the Arab world. Avi, thank you so much for joining us on JBS. Shalom, Shachar. Thank you for having me. So first of all, um, let us just uh, dive straight in. I want to ask you about the attacks in Jerusalem uh, targeting bus stops in the collective memory. Um, you know, we all remember only a couple of decades ago, the Second Intifada, bombings and bus stops and, and, and on buses all over Israel. Do you see uh, a return to that era? No, currently I don't see a return of that terrible scenario. There are different reasons for that. However, the, the attack that we witnessed um, is a little bit different than the one that we got used to, quote unquote, in the last couple of years in different aspects. But uh, regarding your questions, whether we are going to witness a new wave of sort of a suicide bombers, I don't think that's the case. Uh, but also it depends uh, what exactly is the nature of the challenge that we are dealing right now, uh, specifically following that, uh, that specific attack. So, so let's maybe touch upon the general situation. We have seen escalation in the security situation over the last few months. We've seen shooting attacks against soldiers. We've seen um, uh, car ramming attacks. We've seen other attacks. How do you see the general geopolitical situation and the security escalations in the Palestinian arena and specifically in Judea and Samaria at the moment? Well, Shachar, if we like to, to, to look at it through the Palestinian perspectives, the Palestinian arena, the Palestinians are in a very complex junction in many different ways. First, uh, when you look at the Palestinian authority that rules parts of the what is known as the West Bank slash occupied territories, Judea and Samaria, anyone can pick its own turn. Uh, it's clear that uh, they are now in a very significant crossroads. Uh, Fatah, the major spine of the Palestinian authority, is engaged with both inner power struggle um, Everyone is looking to the day post Abbas, uh, the Palestinian president. And in addition to that, Fatah, um, um, like Hamas, who controls Gaza Strip uh, since 2007, both major Palestinian players are very much uh, disliked by many Palestinians. There is a lot of uh, disc uh, criticism and, 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 and alienation of many Palestinians of both the major Palestinian leadership. Um, adding to that is kind of like a growing impact of uh, social media impacts like the TikTok, for example, that actually also stirs or fuels uh, additional, I would say, bursts of violence in different places in the West Bank. Uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad in Gaza Strip obviously has an interest to further fuel the flames in the West Bank. And then one other thing in that context of the inner political power within uh, Fatah uh, over the legacy of the president Mahmoud Abbas, one of the major concerns is that what we see today, there are camps or local uh, areas of domestic powers scattered in different parts of the, of the uh, West Bank. And each and every one of them is actually related in one way or another to a different figure or different camps within Fatah. 
And the major challenge on top of all that is the fact that unfortunately there is a lot of weapon out there in the West Bank. There is no lack of finances, there is a lot of weapon. That combination of political power, um, confusion on a level of a national or inability of making any kind of like national level decision of the Palestinians, together with the power struggle, the political power struggle, the scattered of weapons, and the um, availability of weapons. This is a this is a combination that is very uh, disturbing and concerning and has to be followed very closely. You know, it's a follow closely, which is a great reason to talk to you, not just now, but continuously to listen to these updates. But I want to ask you from listening to you, I hear a situation in which Israel could be in the middle of those um, internal Palestinian battles where Israel is not the main character, but it suffers the results of these internal squabblings within the Palestinian leadership. Is that the case? Shachar, yes, absolutely. Just starting for the very same simple reason that we are here. We are sharing more or less the same arena. Obviously, uh, the ramifications, the developments, the trends within the Palestinian territories obviously has an enormous impact on the Israeli situation. That's one of the major reasons why the Israeli establishment, particularly the intelligence and the security establishment, are very much concerned and, and looking very closely at the situation in, in, in what's going on in, in the West Bank. Remind us all, I mean, Ramallah, the center of the Palestinian authorities, is literally rubbing shoulder with Jerusalem. We are talking about no physical distances. Uh, in many aspects, both Israelis and Palestinians, and particularly when we talk about uh, Israeli government and Palestinian authority are intertwined in the sense of like, they have all kind of like relationship going on in different aspects. So in the end of the day, uh, if something is happening over there in the Palestinian territories, it immediately impacts what's going on in Israel. It's inevitable. Um, looking into the, uh, the the recent attacks, the terror attacks against Israel, there are voices within Israel calling the Israeli government, probably the new incoming one, uh, most chances, to launch some sort of an operation against the terror nests in, in Judea and Samaria, specifically referencing Operation Defensive Shield of 2002. Do you see a reason for conducting such an operation um, currently in those areas? No, I think it will be a mistake uh, given to what I said earlier. Look, uh, I think that if Israel will launch such a counter operation, it will play directly to the hands of the people who perpetuate the attacks in Jerusalem uh, and other factors who has a lot of interest in further fueling the flame, like the Iranians, for example. We know that the Iranians are trying very hard also to put their hands in the uh, Palestinian territories in the West Bank. Uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, uh, uh, maybe ISIS-affiliated local cells also has an interest in that. All of those factors have a lot of interest in, in, in further fueling uh, the flames in the West Bank. And if Israel right now will launch some sort of a counter-military operation uh, in the West Bank, that particularly will further destabilize the Palestinian Authority, hence further destabilize the whole situation in the Palestinian territories in the West Bank, uh, which already, to start with, is very shaky. So I think that will be a, a big mistake uh, to launch uh, such an operation. And I believe that the Israeli military establishment will be totally against such a, a development. Also, from a political and diplomatic perspective, it will be a mistake given to the current uh, very fragile, I would say, sensitive, delicate transition mood 
Israel is going through once uh, we're going to see a new government. And as we all know, the new government in Israel and the American administration have some differences of opinions. Right, that's to say the least. Um, I want to mention, you're talking about the shaky security situation within the Palestinian territories and the Palestinian Authority. I want to relate to the incident concerning the uh, kidnapping of uh, the body of 18-year-old Tiran Perot, Israeli Druze teen, who, um, along with a friend, had a car crash in those areas. Uh, The friend was airlifted to an Israeli hospital, but due to his medical condition, Tiran was uh, moved to a hospital in Jenin. And apparently, at some point, with his family in the hospital, groups of, of armed gangs of Islamic Jihad or others entered the hospital and disconnected him from life support and took away his body. Um, what do you have to say about that incident? That incident is very significant. I'll tell you why. Um, unfortunately, um, as you probably know, um, um, it, is, it is lawful for Israeli citizens to go to the areas that are controlled by the Palestinian Authority, known as the A zones, unless they have a special permits to do that. We know as a fact that uh, many uh, that uh, many many um, um, many um, Israeli Arabs are actually going there just for whatever the purpose, and this is totally illegal. And uh, what they are doing is they are jeopardizing themselves. Uh, we've seen them more than once. By the way, sometimes also Israeli Jews are doing that. And now what we see is a situation where uh, some local factor in Jenin is basically breaking the rules, sort of speaking, and they are kind of like trying to extort or to use, um, um, I'm not sure if the person we are talking about is uh, already passed away or is still alive, it's not clear. Um, uh, To the best of my knowledge, he passed away, but I don't know for sure about it. Just the same, it is a situation where uh, when you think about the scale of this phenomenon, and if it's something that can be duplicated, quote unquote, that that results in an endless chain of uh, potential uh, flammable situation. Because right now, when we're dealing with that specific episode, uh, we have to look at it from different perspective. The Palestinian Authority has an interest, of course, to end this episode uh, ASAP, uh, because obviously it put the Palestinian Authority in a very bad situation. Israel. Uh, cannot actually sit aside and basically accept such a situation. The Palestinians in the West Bank, even if they identify with the factor that committed that um, uh, kidnap, uh, on the other hand, are going to find themselves uh, facing an Israeli sanctions. So in many different perspectives, each and every time such an episode might take place, you're basically looking at something that could be very flammable, sort of speaking, because if, for example, Israel will decide that it's going to engage in a military operation to retreat, to retrieve uh, 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 a person, an Israeli citizen that was hijacked or kidnapped, uh, you can understand the flammability potential of that of that scenario. So in, in every possible aspect, this is a very delicate uh, uh, scenario, very delicate situation. And the, the most concerning thing is that it's basically almost um, endless. Exactly. But where does it put the Palestinian Authority, Avi? Because you keep on focusing on that issue. And I think it's very important for our viewers to really understand that element of what you're saying. You have the Palestinian Authority here, which is basically in the middle, in an area which is supposed to be under its jurisdiction. So who do you talk to in such a situation? You have you have your immediate partner who's supposed to be the Palestinian Authority in charge of that territory. But that's not the reality on the ground. Are they in charge? 
Well, yes, to a certain extent, yes, they are in charge. I mean, you got the Palestinian security uh, services, you got the Palestinian national uh, security forces. They do have the access on the ground. They do have the ability to operate. Uh, sometimes the uh, lack of action is not reflecting lack of ability. It's about something different. It's about political calculation. It's about domestic calculation. But as, as from a perspective of a pure operational capacity, the Palestinian Authority has the ability and the capacities to operate and 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 to deliver. Uh, by the way, there has been more than once incidents when the Palestinian authorities were moving in swiftly and they were acting decisively and basically were preventing further uh, uh, deterioration of a conflict or or a very delicate situation on the ground. But on the other hand, given to what I said before, talking about the sensitivities and the and and the and the fragile situation currently the Palestinian Authority is, and particularly Fatah talking about the growing discontent and criticism within the Palestinian street, talking about the growing popularity of these local sort of like semi-militias that are operating in Nablus or Janine or, uh, or um, Hebron and other places that are controlled by the Palestinian Authority. This is all a combination that actually kind of like uh, uh, results in a situation where the Palestinian Authority is very reluctant, to put it this way, to move and to act swiftly, particularly if it may cause some direct military collision between members of the Palestinian Authority and members of those local militias, which very well be the case. Just reminding you a couple of weeks ago, the Palestinian Authority arrested a Hamas militant in Nablus, and that evoked a direct military collision in, in Nablus. Nablus became in the middle of the day, a stage of a fire exchange between the, the factors involved. So. On the one hand, yes, the Palestinian Authority has the ability, has the capacity. In previous uh, situations, it also uh, performed its ability to deliver. Uh, sometimes it refrains from delivering, not necessarily because of inability to do that, but mostly because of political and domestic calculations. We can hope that in this specific case, the Palestinian Authority will be more decisive in taking care of that issue. Um, you mentioned the uh, Palestinian public's discontent in, in those areas under the PA's rule. What are the reasons for this discontent? We keep on hearing about, you know, the separation between what's happening in Gaza and Judea and Samaria, between the dire straits of Gazans when it comes to their security situation and their economy, compared to the work permits provided to Palestinians in the West Bank, um, the relative ease in which Palestinians can cross into Israel and work in Israel, the leniency of the Israeli security establishment towards those areas, the economic boom. So what happened that we're seeing such discontent that results in these confrontations, both inner Palestinians and those, as you so wisely indicated, that immediately reflect onto the situation with Israel? Well, Shahar, that's a very good observation. Look, I mean, the two major factors, uh, the Palestinian two major factors, Fatah and uh, Hamas, are in a, in a major collision. They are on a power struggle over who is the one to lead the Palestinian people. Uh, Hamas took over Gaza Strip since 2007, violently terminating the rule of the Palestinian Authority. And ever since there is a Palestinian inner split between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, all the attempts of uh, major Arab leaders, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and others to actually end that split, all those attempts basically failed. 
Now, we know the situation in Gaza Strip today, 2022, uh, 15 years after Hamas took over. Hamas actually took uh, Gaza Strip to a dead end street. And by the way, Hamas is harshly criticized, not only by the Palestinians, not only by the Palestinians in Gaza, but even not less by most of the Arabs in the Arab world for the role that he plays, the negative role that he plays in, in Gaza Strip, dragging Gaza Strip into a dead end street. Uh, Fatah uh, in the Palestinian territories in the West Bank uh, is viewed as uh, very corrupted, um, uh, to a large extent irrelevant, I would even say. But this is only one part of this whole story, meaning one major segment of the um, discontent of the Palestinians is indeed their feeling of disappointment uh, with their leadership because their leadership definitely failed to uh, lead them somewhere which may be done or viewed as something that is positive. But in that sense, it's not very much different from the previous leadership of the Palestinians, because now it has to do also with another issue. And that is there is an inner complex uh, dialectic process that takes place within the Palestinian people themselves. And the essence of this process is some sort of like what I call the, a very complex belly dancing, one step forward, two steps backward. Do, what do I mean? On the one hand, Palestinians are very much connected emotionally and politically and culturally to the narrative of the armed resistance, uh, fighting against Israel and so on and so on. So every time that we see a flare of uh, violence between Israel and Gaza Strip, for example, the immediate reactions of the Palestinians is to praise Hamas or to praise Islamic Jihad. Once the, set, the, the dust settles, you could see the change of mood. And then there is a lot of criticism and anger in the Palestinian street about what happened and the Hamas performances. That anger and that frustration reflects the other part of these two, two steps or daily belly dancing that I was describing. And that part is the sense that in the end of the day, when Palestinians are kind of like taking back a little bit and, and separate themselves from the story of this narrative of the armed conflict, they actually ask themselves, where did it lead us to? What are the outcomes? Did it make our situation better? Did it make our future better? The answer is no. So there is a kind of like an inner dilemma, sort of speaking, and the Palestinians have to go through as, as a nation. You know, Avi, this... uh, what, what you're saying now is super important, and I want to just just focus on this for a minute, because to so many people, all that we see are the handing out of uh, sweets after such attacks and the praising of these, uh, of these bombers or these suicide attacks. Um, but what you're talking about is once the dust settles, you said, there is a real profound discussion within the Palestinian society and one of disappointment that none of this is actually leading them anywhere. Yes, and, and beyond that, the, obviously the, the, the inevitable question, okay, if that's not work, what could work? What should we do? What path should we take? Um, and that's, by the way, um, part of the very complex discussion, not only within the Palestinians themselves, but also between the Palestinians and their brothers in the Arab world. Because the brothers in the Arab world, in the end of the day, actually says to the Palestinians the same thing. They say, look, you have chosen your own leadership. You have either Hamas or Fatah. Each one of them has its own path and its own way. You, Palestinian, you have to decide in the end of the day where, where exactly you want to go. What are you, how do you envision your future to be? Are you going to be stuck forever in this um, uh, tragic loop of violence, which actually leads you nowhere? Or are you going to have some sort of a breakthrough? And this is a very interesting and a delicate discussion that takes place within the Palestinian circles. Um, and obviously, as I said before, it's kind of like a belly dancing. It's one step forward, two steps backward. 
because it's a very delicate process. It's not an easy process in, in many perspectives. But I think that we should be aware of that process because one of the potential ramifications of such process is that we may witness a reconfiguration of the political map of the Palestinians in the sense that we may witness the emergence of a new political body. Beyond right. Hamas and Fatah. Beyond Hamas and Fatah, maybe a combination of Hamas and Fatah, maybe some sort of a, a body that will um, adopt a, and endorse some aspects of those two ideologies, of those two organizations. Uh, but I think that I would not be wrong if I would say that the general atmosphere looking at the Palestinian perspective inside the Palestinian um, discussion is that something has to change. Something must be changed because continuing this endless loop is very um, frustrating and in the end of the day, leading nowhere. You know, I'm always saying, Shaha, that uh, talking currently, I'll say something about Israeli society. I think that in Israeli society, we have learned in course of time that military might has limits. Um, might generally has limits. Um, and this is a painful process that Israeli society has been, and to a certain extent, some components of Israeli society are still going through. Um, I would say that a similar process starts to take place within Palestinian circles. The discussion is still yet very hesitant and very preliminary, but it's there. And it's a very interesting process to follow and to watch. Um, and I would say in that context that while Israeli society has learned that there is a limit to a military might. Um, I think that the major lessons that Palestinians should reflect on is the idea that maybe there is also a limit to victimhood narrative. Right. You know, Avi, um, you're not just an expert when it comes to Israel and the Palestinians, but you have a grand outlook onto the general Middle East. And I want to ask you, during the past Netanyahu government, we've seen one of the landmark achievements um, of you know building a bridge into the Gulf, um, Morocco, and other Arab countries, uh, building peace uh, or you know settlements between agreements between Israel and those countries, separate from the Palestinians, that, thus undermining the notion that first Palestinians, then the Arab world. Netanyahu came along with Trump and said Arab world and then Palestinians if they're interested in joining. This must have been very frustrating for Palestinians. The question is. Do you see a potential for a continuation of such process now with the establishment of another Netanyahu government soon, vis-a-vis, -vis, shall we say, Saudi Arabia? Or are we going to see going back to the old equation um, uh, of Palestinians first? How do you see that process moving forward? Well, Shahar, just a general framing, uh, the Abraham Accords that you refer to, actually, it didn't happen overnight. The Abraham Accords is actually a point of time where we witnessed accumulation of process. Some of that process took decades right. that led to the point of the Abraham Accord. One of the major factors that fueled the Abraham Accord, not the only one, but one of the major one, was the sense of disappointment and fatigue in the Arab world vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinian politics. That was one of the major things that fuels that. It's important to know that. Um, and, and for us professionals who have been following this process, it was not very surprising. Now, regarding your question, um, let's focus for a minute in the Gulf. Uh, currently, Israel has a peace treaty with the United Arab Emirates. Israel has a, a peace treaty with Bahrain. Um, 
Um, Israel has actually an open dialogue channels with Oman and Qatar. We have we have for the first time, you know, flights coming out of Israel, direct flights between Israel and Qatar. Correct. I mean, you know, football brings people together. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, um, Israel has an ongoing, I would say, practical, pragmatic dialogue with the Saudis. Uh, my assessment is, as it was two years ago, and up until now it was accurate, I said, look, I don't see the Saudis joining informally to sign an agreement with Israel, not in the visible future. Um, I don't see Oman and Qatar doing that as well for the practical reason that they already have, to a large extent, an ongoing relationship with Israel. From their perspective, currently there is no special incentive to make this thing uh, formally sort of speaking. And, um, you know, it's interesting because in the discussion in the world talking about this, many times the world that comes across is normalization. Right. Uh, you probably are familiar with it. Uh, many people in the Arab Gulf states, at least those who are definitely not against the ideal, they don't really call it normalization. They are calling it realization. Um, basically, what they're saying is, okay, it used to be beyond the sea, now it's in front of the sea. But I don't see Oman or uh, Qatar or the Saudis formally joining to such a frame, at least not in the visible future. Um, Kuwait, in Kuwait, there are a very strong sentiment of anti-Israel. So Kuwait would be, in my estimation, the last one to actually jump into the wagon when it's going to happen, if it's going Kuwait. to happen. Kuwait has a, a significant anti-Israel sentiment in spite of the fact that when Saddam Hussein of Iraq uh, invaded Kuwait, it was Yasser Arafat who supported Saddam Hussein and the Palestinians. And, you know, those of us young enough to remember how many Palestinian workers have been banished in spite of that. Yes, Shaho, welcome to the Middle East politics. <laughs> um, that's correct. Uh, but in Kuwait, there are very strong anti-Israel sentiments. Uh, um, I know personally of a couple of people who are uh, in Kuwait who are uh, very much uh, advocating for a normalization of relationship with Israel. Those people are facing personal intimidation. Uh, by the regime, by the authorities. In Kuwait, there is a strong anti-Israel sentiment. Um, and as I said, Kuwait, to the best of my understanding, if at some point down the road, I don't see that happening today, but if sometime down the road, uh, we're going to be, we're going to see formal joining of, of Qatar or Oman, um, Kuwait would be the last, uh, the last in line. Uh, you know, uh, so, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just want to uh, go back because we're reaching the end and um, I'm sure as you can see and our viewers can sense, I can go on with you for hours. I just want to ask you, in light of the escalation in Israel, just to going back to this region, what do you think um, the new Israeli government should do or maybe shouldn't do in order to de-escalate the security inflammation in, uh, uh, in the Judea and Samaria and of course vis-a-vis -vis Gaza and elsewhere? What would you recommend? Well, my first recommendation will be to any government uh, is to acknowledge reality. Um, we are facing a very complex reality, uh, regardless of uh, any ideology that one, one may have, either a, a left side or a right side, whatever. We are facing a very complex reality. And that complex reality requires us to recognize that, to understand the factors involved, to identify very clearly 
uh, our interest and to prioritize our interest. I would say that um, any, any operative or any practical decision and move that has to be done on the ground, and there are many moves that has to be done on the ground, not necessarily from a military perspective, but each and every one of those moves have to be very, um, very thoroughly uh, calculated, not only in the context of the inner circle of the conflict, not only in the context of the inner Israeli politics, but also in the context of the changing region and the changing global arena. Um, in other words, what I would say to any government uh, is that um, it is times and, and eras and circumstances that call for a very deep, thorough, um, very cautious, calculated thinking about what you are going to do and what you are not going to do. And um, it's in the end of the government, in the end of the day, to dictate that pace and that direction. Incredible. Avi, I can't thank you enough for your uh, profound insights and analysis and for all that you do uh, for Israel and to make us all understand better the geopolitics of the region. I, for sure, have learned a lot from you in the course of this short conversation, and I'm looking forward to having you many more times in the future. I'm just praying and hoping that we see no more of these horrible sights in Israel, and we all took note of what you just said, acknowledge reality, <clears throat> prioritize, and act in a calculated manner. Very wise words from a very wise man. Thank you, Avi. Thank you, Shachar, for having me. Thank you. Shalom. And thank you all of our viewers for watching for JBS. I'm Shachar Azani. Until next time, Shalom and Le'itrahot.